0: A popular outcast production.
1: Welcome to Portable Power, episode 42, recording July 21st, 2015. Tonight, things are going to be a little different around here. Like like a lot of other websites and, and podcasts over the past few weeks, we're, we're here this evening to pay tribute to the late Satoru Iwata of Nintendo. Uh, most of us have had time to effectively grieve and, and reflect by now, and hopefully we can do our part to sort of just, I don't know, I want to honor this man and his games and... And his legacy, really. Um, but first, we'll introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Mark Matters, and I have with me... Emma Smith. Kevin Seibert. Tonight, we also have a special guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself, special guest. Uh,
2: my name's Claire. I'm a streamer at twitch.tv slash claris.
1: Awesome. Um, can I ask you a question? Sure. Why do you stream so late?
2: I don't know.
1: <laughs> There's times when, like, I'll be watching, and it's like, I don't know. 10 11 o'clock at night and i'm like i really got to go to sleep and then i'll get up and you're still streaming
2: well i can explain why it goes to like 5 a.m sometimes that's just because i don't want to put the controller down or have a good conversation going in chat. so i just keep going until i pass out
1: have you ever actually passed out on a stream (laughs) no oh darn chosen to forego uh, our typical alcoholic beverages this evening, sort of out of respect for the, the subject of this episode. Um, I've also chosen to sort of forgo our traditional intro banter in favor of just sort of getting right into this discussion about Iwata. So I want to start with a, sort of posing a question to everybody, and I'm sort of conflicted about this, but like, why did his death impact some of us so hard?
2: I think I can answer that one. Okay. He was just a very public figure for uh, a CEO of a major corporation. You don't see, like, we see him every month in the Nintendo Directs. We see him in all D3 videos. We see him making fun of himself with the bananas joke over and over again. And it's just, he's a very likable person. He wants to know the audience on a personal level. And it's very uncommon to see that from someone in such a position, the corporate position. And... It's humbling, and we can all—we're all just so used to seeing him and him being like, "Yes, I exist to bring joy into your life,"
3: and <laughs> and now he's suddenly gone,
2: thanks to cancer, and it's just like, "Whoa, big shock."
3: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a big part of it. Like, for um, I, I mean, I'll get it—I'll get into this more uh, in more detail later, but for some of the games that he worked on it really had a big impact on certain parts of my childhood and really even continuing on into my adult life so i i mean he you know he was a programmer and you know president of nintendo but like he was like he had a very real hand in things that have consumed hours of my life
2: that's a good point because like uh, the previous president, Hiroshi Yamauchi, he wasn't a programmer or anything. He just inherited the company from his father. So yeah. it was... Uh, yeah, it is it is kind of a weird thing to have a programmer get to that position.
0: No, I think that's a great, uh, a great thing that differentiates the dude from a lot of other um, CEOs of game companies. Is that he not only was a gamer as a player, he was a game designer... And, like, an actual engineer. Yeah. So, he knew what was fun to play. And he knew, like, the limits of hardware. And, like, he understood, like, the whole process from beginning to end in a way that a lot of people, especially gamers, just don't understand. Like, people just don't understand what it takes to make a game. Mm -hmm. And he did. And putting him at the front end of a company that makes games means he's gonna go like he's gonna have the leadership and the knowledge to do the nitty-gritty like engineering stuff and the game the player facing this is what it this is how you play it stuff
1: those are all great points i mean a, a day or two after he passed away i i sort of came up with that question in my head like why am I like visibly upset about this? Like, I didn't even know the guy, but like, yeah, I mean, everything you guys have said is totally true. And it's absolutely the answer to the question I was asking myself.
2: I have a lot of friends like on social media and stuff who were absolutely devastated by it. Like I wasn't nearly as devastated as they were. And I was just, I I thought of that too. I was just like, why do we care so much? And I started thinking about it.
1: Well, it got me thinking like, man, am I taking video gaming too seriously here? Like, (laughs)
2: The hobby has become too real, it's
1: right? But um, I am not going to make the mistake of selling my video game collection again. So I'm not going to
2: never run. do that. Never. No,
1: I I did it. I did it once to move to California. That's how I got here. So my video game fu- uh, collection funded it. So
2: I'm so sorry. Yeah,
1: my Dreamcast collection will never recover. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, he was a, a, a just a different type of CEO than we've ever seen, and um, he's. The reason Nintendo is what it is today, you know, there's the whole blue ocean strategy that I'm sure you've heard a million times by now, but their idea when they were going into like, you know, with, with like the GameCube and stuff, they were trying to take on everybody head to head. And, and so, you know, when it, when it came to, to create new hardware and basically to create the Wii, um, they didn't want to battle with Microsoft and Sony anymore to win over gamers. They, they decided to sort of redefine the problem and and turn non-gamers into gamers. So then, you know, rather battle in the Red Ocean, as they call it, where Sony and Microsoft are just trying to fight over this limited pool of people. They decided to just broaden their horizons. Yeah. yeah. And it was brilliant.
2: Uh, one other aspect of that, when he took over, it was around a time in Nintendo's philosophy when they realized, when they were developing the Wii, when they realized that... Uh, or they came to the conclusion i should say that uh graphics kind of hit a peak and so they can do whatever they want with graphics now it's more about disc limitations uh, space limitations uh things like that and so that's why they didn't make the vhd and super powerful that's another reason that led to that was was just like we can make mario galaxy and it will be freaking awesome regardless of all that and then uh we're seeing that same thing happen now with the jump to PS4 and Xbox 360 going to Xbox 1. It's not a huge leap in graphical prowess. Right. So, it's it's a very like under the hood transition to the next generation that a lot of people don't see at face value. So, that's kind of what I feel Nintendo did with the jump from GameCube to Wii.
1: Yeah, and during that whole transition, he he really wanted to improve the image of the gamer. He didn't want us all to be seen as Fat, lazy dorks. Like
2: yeah, yeah, we would like to <laughs> play.
1: <laughs> we would like to play. I love that. Oh, so he wanted it to be inclusive, not exclusive, which was again just brilliant.
2: Yeah, you know, what's what's that quote from him? Of that's been floating around this last week. Games are like supposed to be one thing. That one thing is fun. Fun for everyone.
1: Right. Exactly. And that's
2: just the mentality that he projected throughout the entire company. And yeah. you know, say what you want about Wii and Wii U being you know undersold and underpowered. They're fun there's a lot of fun games there and they appeal to everyone. Mario Galaxy is a perfect example.
1: Yeah. The game's a
2: masterpiece. It's a beautiful game and sorry.
1: No, no, no. Uh since selling my video game collection in two thousand four, um my Wii collection is my biggest collection of games now. Mm. Like I have forty six Wii games. I don't ha- I've never had that many games for any other console in my life.
3: And part of what uh I think like what was interesting about the Wii was that you saw you know people yeah people who weren't gamers like playing in larger amounts in a way that really I hadn't seen since like the days of the NES everything was new right back when you know when everybody just played NES games because that was what you know we cause we were like eight and that's what eight year olds do
1: and our dads and older brothers stayed up playing Turtles one in a hotel room yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> For those
2: listening, we had a conversation about the wizard right before his <laughs> recording.
1: I have a conversation about the wizard at least once a month. Um, okay, well, a, f- a few more is philosophies that I kind of wanted to talk about that I thought he just was a brilliant man. And it's it seems so simple, some of the stuff that he thought of. But, it, I mean, it was an amazing success, at least in the Wii and DS era. Um, once mobile came along, uh, it's clear that today it's not the same market it used to be, where they, I, they've they lost mm-hmm. a lot of those people uh, that came over. But um, And we've already talked about, like, he's the face of Nintendo, you know, every Nintendo Direct. He did the GDC keynotes several years in a row, um, every E3 presentation the past freaking decade or more. Um, and then Iwata Asks, like, he was everywhere. And
2: he was even on Game Center CX. So yes.
1: Yeah. It's pretty remarkable that he just worked his way up from just this little teenage programmer to president of HAL and then president and CEO of Nintendo.
2: You know, he got his programming start on a calculator.
1: I've heard heard that. Uh (laughs) That's a good transition into the next sort of section here and that's some of the games he's worked on. go in chronological order so claire you're the world's foremost expert on balloon fight yes (laughs) you might be the world champion
2: might be still haven't seen what's past those purple balloons and balloon trip yet someday
1: (laughs) but i mean what what can you say about that game in at least in regards to iwata
2: well it was a pre-super mario title so it was very much in the transition to like Uh, When Nintendo, when the Famicom came out, uh, the gaming industry, as we know, is still coming off the heels of the big crash in America and in Japan. Things had not really taken off too well. And here we have Nintendo, you know, famous card and toy company trying to throw their hat in the game. And just what they had blew everything out of the water in 1983. And Balloon Fight was one of those early titles for it that just really captured an arcade style feel in the home. And... It's not an arcade game. It's not a port of an arcade game like they used to do back then to try to like drum up sales. Was be like a quick port of something like Punch Out, for example, is a Mike Tyson's Punch Out is a port of an arcade game, but it's very different from the Anyway, back oh, to yeah. the movie. Um it, it it just it has a lot of unique subtle mechanics to it that allow for replayability and then the balloon trip mode is an endless mode so it's an equivalent to like an endless runner you'd have on a mobile phone today it, yeah. that's like physics based momentum based and you know i find myself going back to balloon fight every year or so just every now and then i'll go back and see how far i can get in balloon trip, and i just love the way can how the how the flight feels how it's different based on how you uh like holding the B button will make your arms flaps you constantly gaining height. Whereas the A button just flaps them once. You can use it for like a quick turnaround thing. And it's just little tricks like that. And learning how the momentum works when you have either one balloon or two balloons, it just changes the dynamic of the game so much. And such a simple premise, such a simple game from a programming aspect. It's a very simple thing, but and
1: it's basically a joust. Rip-off. Yeah. It's,
2: it's basically the joust uh, mechanics, but with balloons. And You know, it's just amazing to me that 30 years on, I can still I can go back to that game and still very thoroughly enjoy it. When I streamed it last week or whatever, I had consistent like 10 viewers throughout the entire thing, and I was just doing balloon trip over and over and over again. So that just speaks to how good that was.
0: Yeah, uh, it's interesting that you'd compare balloon fight and Joust because they weren't that far apart in terms of the time when they were released. Mm -hmm. But check out that art, different. <laughs> oh yeah, the art is crazy better <laughs> And that's another thing that I think really differentiates Nintendo from a lot of uh, other people is that they were doing they were doing art before it was graphics, like, and they they did push they pushed the boundaries of hardware at the time for but sure. They still do, yeah. Well, that's the thing, like. The Wii isn't cutting-edge hardware. You know, the Wii U isn't pushing the hardware boundaries. Mm-hmm. And sure, they, like, crank the most uh, graphical quality they can out of their hardware. But, like, back in, you know, the 8-bit days, you had to use every part of the byte, Like, it was like the buffalo. <laughs> you couldn't <laughs> let anything go to waste, you know? And so, like like, having an endless mode on your mobile phone is fine because like your phone has almost infinite resources by comparison
2: yeah
1: that's true what's cool about balloon fight also is that um its legacies will live on eternally even if you haven't played balloon fight um if you own a wii u you've probably played nintendo land and you've probably played the balloon trip mode in that
2: yeah, and it's also been featured, it was an e-reader card series, uh, mm-hmm. it was an Animal Crossing for GameCube, oh, it's yeah. been fe- it had a direct sequel on Game Boy called Bloom Kid.
1: I didn't even know that one.
2: Yeah, it's more of an adventure type of game, but it's the same gameplay, uh, the same sort of physics and momentum to it. It's, it's pretty cool, I recommend everybody check that out. That one's on the, the uh, they're actually both on Virtual Console for 3DS, but that one specifically... It's oh. called Balloon Kid for Game Boy. It's like $2.99. I recommend it.
1: Awesome. Also, the villager in Super Smash Bros is Up B. Yeah, is, yeah. Uh, like a balloon uh, balloon fight guy. Does that guy have a name?
2: Uh, it's Balloon Fighter, I believe.
1: Okay. And there's also a uh, balloon fight stage in the 3DS version of Smash. So.
2: Yeah, and all that was done on Nintendo's end. That was all done in reference to Ilata having programmed the game himself. Right. Uh, otherwise, that would not have been there at all. It just would be some obscure game that was forgotten years ago.
1: he's also sort of notorious for swooping in on troubled projects and sort of saving the day mm-hmm. even all the way up to Gamecube era or maybe even more but that's all I've read about but like i' the the earliest case of this that I could find was on Dragon Warrior for the NES.
2: That's right. He had a huge influence in that transition.
1: He worked on the North American localization, and he really gave it an overhaul, like simplified aspects of the gameplay, really improved the sprites and their animations. In fact, I don't even know if some of the sprites had animations in the beginning, in the Japanese version. No, the
2: Japanese version, everything was very static, and he kind of brought it to life for the American adaptation. There was a lot of differences that he helped get the team on board for for that. Mm -hmm.
1: He also gave it a battery backup, which is, God save. Yes. I actually played that game earlier today. It's just a little refresher course, and I will probably never beat it, but (laughs) apparently he brought down the difficulty level. Not noticeable to me, but I, uh, full disclosure here, did not have an NES growing up, so I'm I'm really, (laughs) really bad at NES games.
2: Oh, That's not (laughs) cool.
1: Yeah. My parents were really against me having a video game system as a kid
2: so rebel against them and make sure you play the hot on your nintendo now
1: i I do i do
2: (laughs) rebel against that child abuse
1: (laughs) a couple years ago (laughs) well i certainly won't subject my children to that but in fact, the last time Kevin was here, I think it was the last time Kevin came to visit. Um, I made him beat Mega Man Two for me because I'm like, I'm never going to beat this. Really, beat <laughs> yeah. you had to have
2: somebody else beat that for you. Come
1: my on, my NES, my NES skill set is really, it's uh, it's really underdeveloped.
0: We're not a very competitive gaming podcast. Like <laughs> I, I'm well known for losing Mario, <laughs> in like the first two worlds. Like, like just, just really, really sad platforming skills Mm -hmm. on my part (laughs) that
1: was the last time i was
3: good at anything
1: yeah kevin kevin's the opposite kevin is amazing at nes games nice Um, but to this day like modern gaming he's not a hit or miss with
3: right yeah i i never play anything online like mario kart um i only play people i know Smash Brothers, same deal. Like, I, I, I went online with Wii U Smash Brothers one time, lost in about thirty seconds, and never went back to it.
2: Wow, yeah, I'm pretty bad when it comes to like stuff like that. With my friends or something, I'll play Smash and I'll do okay with Mario Kart. I'll do fairly decent amongst my friends, but
1: the second I go online, it's 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 all over. So, what do you guys know about NES Open Tournament Golf?
2: Uh, I know a fun fact about it.
1: Shoot, what is it?
2: All the stages in that game were recreated for Wii Sports Golf.
1: Yeah, in the Wii Sports Resort, I believe.
2: In um, the original Wii Sports. Oh,
1: I did not know that. Um, well, it's a pretty. It seems like a pretty unremarkable game. I mean, it's basically the first Mario Golf, you could yeah, say. But yeah. um, it was kind of a big deal because it was a co-production between um, Nintendo and HAL. Um, so it was. According to Iwata, it was his first experience developing a game from start to finish. And also a little fun fact, it was Aonuma. I I don't do well with Japanese names, but basically the Zelda guy. Um, it was his very first work in video games as a sprite designer. Nice. So it's a pretty, it's a kind of a landmark game, despite it being very, um, I don't know, it's a it's a golf game for the NES. I mean, there's not much you can say about it other than that there's there's like cutscenes and stuff, and that's where some of the um the 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 sprite work really shines.
2: Isn't uh, the NES Open Golf the one with Mario on the title screen and all that? Isn't that more like a, a remake of the previous like launch title Golf?
1: I don't know that it's a remake.
2: I think the courses are the same, but like upgraded or something. It could be true. I think I read that somewhere. Don't quote me on that.
1: Okay. Well, no, it's this pod that should be the, the, the mantra of this podcast. Don't
2: quote me no, on, don't that. Quote on that.
1: <laughs> so briefly mentioned how Laboratory a moment ago and so I thought maybe Kevin you could talk about the impact how Laboratory Incorporated has had on you.
3: Yeah. Well, okay. So yeah, out of all of the things that Iwata had involvement with. Um, Kirby probably is what had the biggest influence on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I played the original one when it came out. Didn't own it until it was out on Virtual Console, but uh, one of my really good friends bought it, and I ended up beating it in about two hours, which is why I never ended up <laughs> purchasing it. Mm-hmm. But It's a
2: very short game.
3: It's a very short game, and it, it's very easy. Yeah. Um, so, like, I didn't feel a need to to buy it, but the gameplay was super fun, the art direction was whimsical, um, I mean, I, I talked about, it. I did a review of it for a previous episode, but uh, aside from the game being phenomenal, um, Kirby inspired me in ways that very possibly... Like completely you know like permanently changed my life, um, really well, because there was you know, like when i when I was growing up, I wanted to be a comic book artist, and there came a certain point like in high school where I realized that I just wasn't good enough at drawing, mm. so I gave up, like I stopped drawing almost altogether, with the exception of Kirby, like Kirby kept me drawing. And I eventually got back into it. And I mean, I'm not a comic book artist or anything, but like art employs me full time. Like it pays my bills, commercial art, but you know, still like that, that creative streak. I, I think the Kirby series has a huge part in because I was drawing these stupid Kirby comics when I was doing nothing else, even related to artwork.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. He, um, Iwata sort of like went to Sakurai I hope everyone knows these names I'm dropping. Um,
2: Masahiro Sakurai. Hi. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, he uh, basically was like, you know, again, it's it's like, it's like, it seems like this has been his sort of philosophy all this time is like, make a game for everybody. And so Sakurai created Kirby. Um, am I the only one here
3: that's played much of Earthbound? I, I've played um, probably about five to 10 hours of it.
2: I've played probably ten minutes of it.
1: Really? <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, it's a game that I've never been able to finish. Um, I only own it on Wii U because obviously it's one of those super rare games. Yeah, two hundred fifty like, bucks. Ugh, playing it on on Wii U for the first time was I don't know, it's a special game. And it's he really saved that game and got got it out there. Um the, the development was not going well, and he kind of swooped in again and was like, hey, basically, um, you can start over and we can get this done really fast, or you can keep going as you're going and be in development hell until forever.
2: Yeah, didn't he get the, the file size down to like half of what it was before? I'm
1: not sure if that's Earthbound. That might be the next game we're going to talk about. It, it might be, but the the code was just a mess.
2: He also saved the, the Wii U version of it. Oh, he did? Yeah, there was a story a few years ago. I used to do games writing, and I distinctly remember reporting on this one. Um, Earthbound Mother 2 came out on Virtual Console on the Wii in Japan. And to like, no fanfare, you know, just it's just another game on the service. But, you know, here, everyone's just like, where's Mother 2? Where's Earthbound? And right. um, the story is roughly that Nintendo of America was worried about legal trouble because the audio samples, the, the audio in the game uses a lot of samples from licensed music, and they didn't have permission to do that. It's more of a remix in that that legal gray area of remixes, and uh, uh-huh. Nintendo of America didn't want to deal with the potential problem of that. And Iwata was like, and they wanted to edit it, they wanted to go a new soundtrack. And Iwata was uh-huh. like, no, we, no, I won't let you do that. The game has to go up as it was. That's a part of the experience, and uh, it became such a heated thing that we heard nothing about it for like a year, and then Iwata took over Nintendo of America's uh, uh, some sort of division. I, f- I forgot exactly what it was, but he uh, came here. He went to Washington to work on something and like took a leadership position within the company here. And yeah. the result of that was about a year later, we got EarthBound unedited aside from uh, toned down visuals for seizure uh, problems. Oh, that's
1: right. <laughs> uh,
2: but other than that, all, all that was, was just a filter over certain effects. But um, other than that, we got it completely unedited with the virtual player's guide oh that was the best great fanfare the way it was announced and everything it was a huge deal and that was really the reason we got it here on the digital service is solely thanks to him
1: so he saved it for us twice and yes it's a beautiful game the soundtrack is amazing so i'm really glad that things happened the way they did i guess the what i the game i was referring to earlier um where he basically compressed it in half was pokemon gold and silver
2: That's true. You did do that.
1: They were having trouble even, I think, just getting the the actual vanilla game onto the cartridge when he came in and, like, coded some new compression technique or something, and they were able to not only, like, get all of gold and silver onto the cartridge, but also uh, the post-game content, which was, what, the original Kanto region? Yeah, it was very, very
2: watered down and simplified, but, yeah, Kanto was definitely... That was the result of that compression.
3: It made for a really interesting second quest, like going back through um, the old region, being able to catch. Like theoretically, you could get all of the original Pokemon in addition to the new ones onto Some. that cartridge. You you couldn't you couldn't transfer over like the ones that you had from Red and Blue.
2: You could do that, but you couldn't go backwards uh, if the Pokemon right. didn't exist, or if it did exist but had a different move that didn't exist in the first gen. I recently did a 151 run of red version that involved trading from the crystal.
3: Yeah, I, I've, I've never caught every single Pokemon in any of the games. Uh, it's the only one I ever had.
1: <laughs> yeah. Claire, I would love to know where you get all the, your free time. It's
2: from being a jobless bum.
1: <laughs> uh, that's what I'm missing. <laughs> that's what you're missing. Wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. You say you're a jobless bum.
2: Yeah.
1: But you have this enormous video game collection because i
2: wasn't always a jobless bum Ah. yeah (laughs) that's the catch
1: (laughs) all right so yeah the one when he worked on pokemon gold and silver he was already what president of HAL or something he was already like way above
2: so that, that was 1998
1: in japan so yeah so he's in this position where he's Basically, not doing programming anymore, and he comes in and saves all these games. I mean, there's Earthbound, there's Pokemon Gold and Silver. He he got Melee, Smash Bros Melee, to come out um, in time for the GameCube launch, which it looked like it was not going to happen. Yeah, Uh, it was in the
2: launch window, quote unquote window.
1: The only thing I remember about the GameCube launch is that I bought the Star Wars Rogue Squadron game um, before I even owned a GameCube because I knew I was getting a GameCube for Christmas.
2: (laughs) I've done that before.
1: (laughs) So Iwata also. I guess for the N64 Pokemon Stadium, like... That's right. He learned the battle code from the Game Boy games himself without any, like, direction and got the battle code up and running for the N64 version in a week's time.
2: Yeah, the original uh, Pokemon Stadium was actually made for a special event. It was a very simple thing that was done extremely quickly, so... It makes sense that he'd be on a tight schedule and just be like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? Here I go. <laughs> and he just does this thing and ta da.
1: Wow. Brilliant man. It's it's really like the loss of a mind. You know, yeah. that that what's the word I want to say? <laughs> just a beautiful mind.
2: That's the hardest part of this, is we lost beautiful mind.
1: So I mean, and he oversaw the development. He was like, you know, producer, executive producer, you know, all these ambiguous terms on so many games like Mario Sunshine, Uh, Metroid Prime, um, Animal Crossing, Wind Waker, and even all the way up to like Splatoon. Yeah, he
2: he was the executive producer for everything after he took over from Nintendo.
1: was a great mind, but he also he had a pretty big heart. I mean, I've, I've heard that this is pretty common practice for a lot of like Japanese like, CEOs and stuff, but it, more than once um, he took a 50% pay cut when Nintendo wasn't performing as well as that, yeah. they projected. He took
2: it upon himself. He took the responsibility and the guilt onto himself to keep everyone happy and not have to fire anyone.
1: Yeah, and you do not see that.
2: Not in America.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: That's for sure.
1: Gosh you know after reading all of the social media stuff and and all the articles and everything like no one that has met or like worked with this guy has had anything bad to say there's no skeletons in his closet that we've heard yet there's no you know sweatshop level like <laughs> horror stories from working at nintendo <laughs> like he genuinely seemed like a great man So uh, this is the part that he got sick. I think they were pretty ambiguous about it at first.
2: They were. um, It was, they first noticed the growth about two years ago, a year and a half ago.
1: Well, he missed two E3s in a row.
2: Right. The the official reason why he missed E3 of 2014 was because of uh, the duct growth, because he was having it scraped out. And um, while that's not the official reason for this year's absence, it um, likely had something to do with it.
1: Sure, sure. So we knew he was sick. And then this year, you know, we had a pre-recorded um, sequence where he didn't appear at all. Yeah, just his voice. They appeared as puppets, specifically Muppets, um, which I thought was wonderful. I don't know. How how did you guys feel about that?
3: I loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great.
1: Yeah, I was um, texting a friend back and forth throughout all of E3, and he was just trash talking that like (laughs) live with me and i'm like really this is this is pretty great like there was not only with the muppet the muppet thing was like cute and like very nintendo but um all the developer stories like the star fox story the the oh yeah that was a good
2: story those were
1: all really cool uh the best was the 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 miyamoto and um what's the other guy named when they went through the old documents for the original super mario brothers
2: yeah, yeah, that was really cool to see. That
1: was so cool.
2: See how how hands on it really was back then. Drawing all those different sheets and then just layering the changes over into another piece of paper.
1: Yeah, but like I, there was definitely like sort of a backlash from you know your typical angry I hate life <laughs> person, mm-hmm. um, and and then Iwata went out of his way and issued sort of what sounded like an apology. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter, but basically like, oh, you know, uh, we know, we, we've we seen the fan response and we hear you and um, we'll try harder next time. Oh,
2: for the Metroid thing?
1: Well, that was specifically talking about the Metroid thing, yeah. But it was just, it was a pretty heartbreaking thing.
2: Yeah, I felt really bad for Nintendo when, when everyone was throwing out, you know, hate towards that. It was like, they made, they just they come up with gameplay ideas before they decide where to place them, what to do with the story. That's how, that's how Nintendo's always been.
3: Mm-hmm. That's how
2: they, their development cycle works. They come with the gameplay uh, thing. I'm like, okay, so how is this going to fit? What are we going to do with it later on after they got the mechanic down? So they come up with this, uh, these mechanics for the, the Metroid thing. And so they decide that universe would be best to set it in as more of a guidance as a, as a side story. And, uh, here we have the fan backlash of just like where's dread where's everything else where's where's super metroid 3 where's fusion 2
1: right They're trying to petition it out of existence
2: yeah and, and so what was nintendo up for they were just like crap we have this game that's like almost ready for launch mm-hmm. and we thought it was a neat idea and all, and so they were just like well I'm, we're sorry but <laughs> play it and check it out you might like it well anyway. that was
1: reggie had the the more ballsy Thing. He's like, play it first and then
3: let's talk about it. I would move that the people who were piss moaning about this are not actually Nintendo fans. Well, sure. Oh, mostly,
2: probably.
1: (laughs) I'm sure. And we're kind of used to this. I mean, this has been going on since Super Nintendo days. Yeah. Yeah. This this kind of.
2: Why is Yoshi's Island not like Mario World? Why does it look so weird? Why is it about a baby? Yoshi's Island is like one of the best games ever.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, like, I, I in, like, in hindsight, like, looking at that, like, apology uh, from Iwata and then, what, three weeks later he passed away was, not like, it made me extra sad. But the dude was working all the way up, to, up until the end. Like, the, he was, yeah. he, he did, it like, a shareholder meeting, like, two weeks before he died. And people had saw him in the office just days before he passed away.
2: If not the day before. I'm pretty sure... Right. Um... because, uh, again, why he missed 2014 is because he was having surgery to get rid of that growth, and they probably thought it was gone, and so I I, am under the impression that this was very, like, not just sudden for us, but also kind of sudden for all of them, too, him and his family, because they thought they were over this, they thought they were done with it, and then he's back in the hospital, and 24 hours later he's gone.
1: Yeah. Um, One of the things I thought was remarkable, though, was sort of the social media outpouring. Mm -hmm. Like, I saw... You know, of course, there was tons of stuff from fans, like whether it was like Twitter, Facebook. People sending stuff
2: outside of the Redmond offices and the Kyoto offices.
1: Right. Yeah. Like actual physical stuff, the Nintendo World Store. But like like even even Sony and Microsoft and like third party developers that may not even have ever worked with Nintendo were like sending out like heartfelt tweets about it.
2: And not just a safe face, like, in a corporate sort of way. They were genuine.
1: (laughs) It seemed like it. Like, the Sony one was actually really touching to me, although I don't have it here to read it.
2: Yeah, the Sony guys have long been friends. Like, they've long respected Nintendo's things, like, just Mm. in how they act and everything. Like, uh, uh, who is it? Kazurai? He he said he's got a Wii at home and, like, you know, gets a lot of enjoyment out of it. Just the same as Miyamoto said he's had a PlayStation before and things like that. It's just they really respect each other's work. It's less of a console war than it is just like they're going in different directions and they know it and so they yeah. they embrace it.
1: Yeah, well it's yeah, it's not that way between like, you know, kids in high school.
2: And Microsoft and, and Sony, I'm sure, are very I know Microsoft is extremely uh competitive, I should say.
1: Yeah. Do you think if Kaz Harai passed away there'd be nearly this level of uh
2: It'd be up there. Really? It would be up there, I'm sure of it.
1: I don't see him as nearly the the face. Well,
2: it's not so much the face, but he, he has a lot of history, like a lot of did in programming and stuff. He, mm. he, he's also in that, that position of uh, he was a former programmer that made it to the top.
1: Luckily, uh, Iwata sort of secured his own legacy with, I mean, primarily the games he's worked on. Like, we've all been touched, mm-hmm. at least we've all, being the four of us, been touched by these games. And I know, you know, millions of other people have as well. But his legacy also is going to rest in Nintendo's future plans. Like, we don't know who's taking over uh, for him uh, just yet, but um, he certainly laid the groundwork for their next console, um, their whatever they're going to do on, on the mobile platform and theme parks and merchandising and yeah, all this just stuff. The,
2: the philosophy aspect of it is going to be one of his biggest legacies of that philosophy of make it fun.
1: I'm just hoping they stick with it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It is going to be interesting to see how long they,
1: I can see somebody, some hotshot coming in and being like, I'm going to shake things up.
2: One of the biggest fears that I've been seeing going around this last week is the fact that investors have been plaguing Nintendo for about two years, three years now. To go mobile and like really just throw all the virtual console stuff on phones and all that. And Iwata was one of the biggest voices against that idea. And he was like, no, we can do something cool, something suited to mobile devices. We don't have to do that. We don't have to go solely mobile. We don't have to abandon the console space or the 3DS space. And he was one of the biggest voices against investors on that. And so that's my one of my big worries about the future of Nintendo is what's going to happen there.
1: Do you ever read those investor notes?
2: Once in a while, I'll skim through Oh, my God. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy stuff there. A lot of crazy stuff from people who clearly are not gamers.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they are only investors. Yeah. All right, well, that's that's all I have. We haven't heard much from Kevin or Emerson in a, in a minute. Is there anything else you guys would Sorry. want to say? <laughs>
2: Sorry I talk so much.
1: I No, no, it's fine. I, I feel like this episode was kind of my baby, and I, I, I didn't know how well it would yeah. go with you guys.
0: You guys pretty much said everything that I was thinking. Exactly.
1: Kevin, you sound like you're falling asleep. No, no. (laughs) Uh, Well, it is midnight there on the East Coast.
2: Midnight's weak sauce. Tell me when it's 5 a.m. and you're still gaming. Jeez.
1: (laughs) I I was up until
0: 5 a.m. doing stand-up comedy on Saturday. Hey, there you go. Um, Remind me
1: where you were doing stand-up comedy.
0: (laughs) It was at a strip club in central Pennsylvania. An Amish strip club.
1: I, I'm just yeah. How hairy were their It legs? was not
0: it was not Amish. No? It was not
1: Amish.
2: <laughs> Sorry, it's just the picture popped in my head.
1: <laughs> Central Pennsylvania Amish.
3: They just like take
1: off their bonnet and that's the whole routine.
2: That's oh
3: my, fun. I can see her ankles. <laughs> if they went all the way down, that would be quite a lengthy strip tease. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh man.
2: Meanwhile, my Resident Evil stream the other night ran until 6am.
3: Oh
1: my
2: gosh. (laughs) I have videos out the wazoo on YouTube ready to go from that.
1: Uh, I saw part of it.
2: It was very entertaining about halfway through some trolls came in and I like to play off of trolls and so I find them entertaining. And so the last, like, hour of it last two hours of it were this one guy just like being come on Bobby, me i swear you will ban everyone laughing <laughs> at my terrible resident evil skills
0: twitch culture is really bizarre it
2: is it is
0: i watch a lot of i watch a lot of hearthstone streamers and uh it's really it's insanity i don't know like you have to work really hard to cultivate like an atmosphere that you enjoy. Whether it's like some people just enjoy having trolls.
2: It it can be fun.
0: Yeah, and they'll just like it's like have thirty thousand people all trolling each other and <laughs> typing kappa. Like <laughs> like so
2: much. And yeah, it's definitely its, it's own so thing. Weird. This might be actually a good time if you don't mind if I plug something.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely
2: um there is a twice yearly charity stream that speedrunners do called awesome games done quick and they also do a summer one summer games done quick which is on the 26th this year july 26th is when that one starts and it's a marathon that runs for about a week and it's all speedrunners, and they they talk about uh, how they found the different tricks in the games and stuff and they're all big twitch people so a lot of that culture definitely breeds through into these uh streams or into the speedruns that they do for the, the charity and the charity uh goes to uh i think the summer one goes to doctors without borders while the january one goes to uh the prevent cancer foundation and they regularly raise about a million dollars even for each one towards the charities anyway sorry about that but uh the reason that brought my mind back to was last year one of the two events they had um a, a task program a tool assisted speedrun program set for uh pokemon red running on a super Game Boy on an actual super nintendo that uh, just through controller inputs, they managed to hack it to ha- to stream the Twitch chat into the Super Game Boy. So it was coming out of the Super Nintendo, it was going super fast, and they were just like uh, telling everybody, use the Frank or Z emoticon, and just like two minutes later, the, the stream just, it fills up. <laughs> Because they know everything's going by so fast because there's so many people watching that that, that's what people do to interact with each other and have fun because they can't hold a conversation. So they're just like emoticons.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, while you're uh, plugging that, do you want to plug your media presence?
2: I I stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Claris C-L-A-E-R-I-S. Yeah, something like that. And uh, my YouTube is where my Twitch streams go to Right after the stream, I split them up to make them easier to watch over the course of about a week. And uh, that's uh, YouTube's uh, YouTube slash user slash Paris Games. And then I'm also on Twitter at Paris Paris. Barris. Spelled the same way with the A. That's pretty much it. I mean, I've got a game site that I don't contribute to. (laughs) It's been a while. Yeah, it's, it's been like months since I've written anything for it.
1: The last one I remember reading was how to spot a fake Game Boy Advance game.
2: Yeah, that that came up on uh, on Twitter actually. The idea for it because I saw an ad that was a uh, spot six ways to six ways to spot a fake purse on uh, on eBay, and I was just like, "Screw you! I'll tell you six ways to spot a fake Game Boy Advance game on eBay." <laughs> <laughs> and it turned into this thing that I ended up writing an article about it. <laughs> That's where that came from.
1: Yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on our show.
2: Thanks for having me. Sorry, I kind of commandeered it. I talked
3: too much. No, no, that cool. no, that was really cool. Thanks for coming on, Claire. Yeah, no
1: problem. All right, guys, um, we'll see you in a month, and uh, yeah, good Night, Bye,
3: everyone. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go over to portablepower.popularoutcast.com. Clear your cookies or use incognito mode. Do the shopping that you'd normally do. We'll get a small cut of whatever it is you spend at no additional cost to you. Help us get noticed. Go over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the Portable Power Podcast. Get in touch with us. Maybe you'd like to send us a game review request or your own answer to our question of the week. You can email us at portablepowerpodcast at gmail.com or use Facebook, facebook.com slash portablepowerpodcast or get in touch with us on Twitter at portablepowerfm. Drink responsibly and listen to the next episode of the Portable Power Podcast so you can witness what happens when people don't.
2: On my business card, I am a corporate president. In my mind, I am a game developer. But in my heart, I am a gamer.